0: We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.
1: This week on a podcast from beneath, Planet 9 from outer space. William, how's it going?
2: Good. How you doing, Karen? No,
1: I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Watch this movie today, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's something i've seen it before it's been a while since i've seen it uh this was what 1957
2: yeah i i think that uh, it it was a 57 that it was made and then it was released uh, a couple of years later i think i think that it was a little delay in getting it yeah I,
1: yeah i think i've seen something about the the copyright it took a couple of years cuz it had a different name when they first uh when it first released it. it was what was it Grave robbers from outer Grave space robbers, right. was the was the original title that they showed it with and of course i guess you your uh, information about the copyright laws let, said that if that's not on this, that title card, then you don't get it copyrighted. So. You
2: know, I think in this case though, uh, I think they may have changed the title uh, before that because if we believe the law uh, that we get from uh, the Tim Burton movie, uh, the movie was financed and, uh, to a certain extent by a, a religious organization. I don't know what not denomination or whatever, but apparently the guy who was the landlord in Ed Wood's uh, building the place he was living at the time, uh, he uh, him and Ed Wood became friends, and Ed Wood naturally uh, tried to convince him to finance a film. Apparently, uh, his religious group was interested in producing a more elaborate film, but Ed Wood managed to convince him to finance uh, "Grave Robbers from Outer Space" to begin with, uh, with the idea that the great profits that the movie would inevitably make. Would, would allow him to make his more epic religious film. Uh, one of the catches was that uh, everybody in the film had to be baptized in the church. And that's a very funny scene actually in, in Ed Wood, in the movie, uh, when they uh, all go out to a, a swimming pool, apparently Todd Johnson, who was all 400 pounds, couldn't fit into the baptistry that they had in the, in the church so they found uh, uh i believe a jewish woman's a jewish neighbor's swimming pool <laughs> and right. but the whole whole crowd climbed into the swimming pool and were baptized um, and uh, uh, one of the other things that he insisted on was that he said uh, grave robbers from outer space was sacrilegious or you know inappropriate so he insisted on it being changed and i guess ed pulled plan nine out of his ass <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was not the most imaginative uh, fallback title uh, and that's the one that they they shot it under uh, eventually when i guess it was sometime later when ed was um, suffering some financial difficulties which he tended to do towards the end of his life uh, the same guy uh, bought the film back from him for a dollar uh, in return for forgiving his rent. Uh, so it would lost control of the one film that probably would have, if he had lived long enough, probably would have brought him some money. Uh, it was on TV as early as 1961. And I know when I was growing up, uh, the local channel here in New York, channel 11, they had a thing called Chilla theater i don't know if you've ever seen the one with the hand coming out of the pool of blood that's the way it.
1: we had a Chiller theater around here Uh, but it was probably the opening was a little different i think i remember it was like a castle with lightning and all that i can't remember exactly but
2: well that chiller theater show here in new york they ran the plan nine from Space. it seemed like they ran it constantly Uh, so i saw it many times when i was a kid and uh, it's funny how when you look back on things that you see as a kid you realize how how stupid you are as yeah. a kid. Never, never struck me when I was watching it as a child that there was anything wrong with it. You know, it seemed like a perfectly straightforward thing. Actually, that was kind of cool, you know.
1: Yeah, when I was watching today, I was thinking, were people back then just more... <laughs> not as smart you know what i'm saying when you watch it but do you think that eh, it you know did people watch it back then and think oh this is really bad i mean well,
2: well i think that young folks today have this impression that old, old movies are a strong indication that the older generations were pretty dopey yeah uh, but actually those mo- the movies that we got as garbage now uh, where we, we got it certainly to film like *Planet nine from out of space which just barely got a release in theaters you know is pretty widely recognized as a piece of garbage it's just it's such fun garbage yeah and the people associated with uh, who are associated with the film are such colorful creatures that this whole mythology uh, built up around it and and now it's uh the whole study of edwards films has become uh at least according to some people sort of a legitimate area of academic research. Uh, I think that's probably when things start to get a little crazy. You know, it's one thing for people to say they like this movie because it's so enjoyably bad. Right. Because they it's understood that we're talking about a bad movie. And I think objectively it's a bad movie. I don't see anybody could argue otherwise. But when people become so uh, charmed or so enamored with uh, this film or with the other movies that he made or with his whole life story they begin to talk about him as if he was some sort of unappreciated genius yeah like Uh, we're
1: trying to find some kind of hidden meaning in uh, it or (laughs) that that
2: the the, uh, this was like avant-garde filmmaking and, and that's not true i think that we it should be established right off the bat that this is almost like a textbook case of bad filmmaking and the reason why i think it's bad filmmaking is because it it wasn't what he intended i mean uh, there used to be a web mag, a web site called the Dissolve. I don't know if you remember that it's no. been around for a couple of years. It's archived now. They had a lot of discussions uh, about um, Plan 9 and about Ed Wood. Uh, and <clears throat> I remember one of the people who wrote on the site said that uh, if Ed Wood had lived another 10 or 15 years, he would have been doing the same sort of things that uh, John Waters uh, ended up doing. And I can sort of see that because it's true that when uh, Ed got into his later years, he was doing porno films, and some of them were almost verging on the sort of stuff that John Waters might have done, the subject matter at least, or the style of filmmaking. But the difference between John Waters and Ed Wood is John Waters didn't do anything that he didn't intend to do. Right, yeah. His, His movies might be on the same shelf as Ed Wood in the video store, if there are any video stores left uh as a cult movie or as a camp movie but john waters was intentionally subverting filmmaking styles and techniques and the themes and the tropes that you would normally see in films he wanted to outrage and shock people ed wood was making films that he thought people would find entertaining he thought they would be accepted just like any other hollywood film you know uh, and it's just that he was you know i hear some people say well he did the best he could with what he had and i admire him but i don't think he did the best he could that's no. the problem you know he was a sloppy filmmaker he rushed through his work he rushed through the writing of his scripts which was particularly detrimental he seemed to think and some of the people around him seemed to think that the secret to being a good writer is to be sitting there pounding away at the, at the typewriter all the time <laughs> churning out tons <laughs> yeah. of stuff you know but you listen to some of the dialogue and it doesn't even make sense uh, in itself, if you just take it like sentence by sentence or paragraph by paragraph, there are sort of contradictions. Like the famous speech that Criswell gives at the beginning of this one, where at, at the beginning he's saying that this is a, because of his status as a TV uh, seer or prognosticator. Uh, this film is going to tell you what's going to happen in the future, and then two or three sentences later, two or three sentences later, he's saying that this is the story of something that's happened in the past and yeah, yeah based off
1: other. yeah based off witness accounts right, and all right. that i think so, it, i think that that Gris, the, was it Criswell. Criswell, yeah Yeah, i think he wrote that opening dialogue and also the narration over the rest of it because he wasn't happy with what ed wood had written
2: well he didn't do he didn't make much <laughs> of an improvement right actually the one thing you could say is that in terms of tone and style the narration fits the, the dialogue in the rest of the movie uh pretty well so i don't think Criswell was any better a writer than than wood was uh some of the stuff is, is you know hilariously bad uh and of course ed has his own little absurdities uh like um when they have you know, two of the characters having a conversation one says it's also fantastically uh it seems so fantastically uh strange. Uh, but it's true, uh, and the other guy says, but it's the truth, and that's what makes it strange. I mean, all this sort of <laughs> not, nonsense dialogue that just sounds like something that somebody came up with quickly, almost like he was writing it on his way to the studio, you know, uh, and that, uh, that and the sort of inattention to things like um, uh, he wasn't so bad with boom mics in this movie as far yeah as I, no, I was see. gonna
1: say i was gonna bring it up i didn't see one boom mic in it
2: <laughs> but other other things like there's a scene where lyle Tal- talbert who plays general roberts or whatever he's supposedly standing in front of a sky and he's directing the military that he's seeing it ta- oh with know, the binoculars going... when he's got the binoculars right, yeah. right. and his shadow is being cast on the oh, sky you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i mean how could it how could it be that he didn't see that how could anybody stand on that set and not say oh wait a minute we can see his shadows <laughs> it's, it's all through the scene uh or another thing and sometimes when you watch these movies repeatedly the big mistakes sort of fade into the distance because you're so used to seeing yeah. them, and you begin to pick up on little other little odd things like for instance in the spaceship set um they 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 have their like ham radio sets that they're using is the sophisticated electronic equipment for the aliens. They have them on like what appear to be like dinner tables or bridge tables, uh, like uh, little end tables, like somebody right, cleared yeah. out their, their, their living room or their bedroom and just furnished the inside of a spaceship with wooden furniture that has drawers and things on it. And if you look underneath one of the tables that has the, all the radio equipment on it, there appears to be like a cardboard box sitting there. you know. <laughs> Now, you know, I'm a, I I do that. I put, like, cardboard boxes it on it. But there's supposed to be a fucking alien spaceship. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know? And there's, there, there's like, stuff plugged in to the wall. It looks like a hairdryer, one of the things. It's got a big black utility cable hanging from it. And if you look under the desk, there's a whole bunch of, of uh, extension cords and things leading to the outlets. So the aliens, apparently use you know plug-in outlets uh, and, and and extension cords it's just you say why didn't anybody say to him ed this is fine we can get away with the sort of styrofoam walls and things like that but let's get rid of that right or put yeah. a drape put a drape over the table so it doesn't just look like a table you know he's using drapes all over the place uh, uh you know for the it's like shower curtains in the in the cockpit of the plane
1: right yeah That's
2: well, that another. Was,
1: uh, i also read that was he, had, he only had the one shower curtain. So they used anytime there was a door or anything, <laughs> there, there was just the one, same so, one.
2: So the shower curtain is the thing we see the most of in planet. I should get the uh, top billing. milling. Uh, you know, I am guilty of that as well. When I did my first film, Sleepless Nights, I was sort of uh attracted to the idea that you could go in and just sort of set up curtains in places and sometimes even shower curtains. Right. Uh, because it's cheap, you know, you're always looking for a way to save money. And you think oh that's great we can just put a curtain up nobody will know right everybody knows it's immediately obvious especially if you don't like take the wrinkles and and the creases (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh those sort of things sort of make you realize that it wasn't a question of somebody who was doing the best with what he had it was somebody whose only goal was to get the damn thing finished so he could get it out and get on to the next one and as a result the movies are pretty hilariously bad you
1: know yeah definitely felt i mean just watching you could tell that it was rushed oh god i mean we have the 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 narration which to me just goes against the rule of show don't tell right Mm -hmm. he's got to. we are watching the the cemetery you know the funeral scene and they're basically telling us exactly what's going on and it's like we can see that you don't need to (laughs) You don't need but to describe had, what's going on.
2: He had no other way to tie in that footage that he had from Bela Lugosi, uh with the rest of the film. I mean, it's actually kind of an audacious idea to take footage of a guy creeping around what apparently was Tor Johnson's house somewhere in, in Los Angeles, I assume. It, yeah, have Belagozi going in and out of the house, sometimes with his cape and sometimes wearing that other costume. And then you try to take that and you try to fit it into a science fiction movie about yeah. aliens, you know? And I guess the, he, he realized at a certain point, the only way to do that was to have a narration, to have a, a narrator saying, this is what you're looking at, audience, because <laughs> you, <wouldn't, laughs> yeah. you wouldn't know otherwise. But, uh, but even that stuff is kind of strange. Uh, they have the scenes of Lugosi by the grave uh, with the minister reading uh, the final whatever and um the shot is all off kilter like yeah. you know the is way over in the quarter you would have thought that if you were shooting footage of bella lugosi and that's the reason that you're there he didn't even apparently have any money he he just put the uh, to make the film he just put together enough money so he could buy the film stock and they all went out and shot this stuff in you know, wherever they could find a place to do it but you would think with the priority is get the beauty shots of lugosi get as much lugosi as you can mm-hmm. right and he instead has him all the way over to the corner (laughs) with the minister is right in the center of the screen, you know, Um, and then of course, there's a great little business he has when the old man comes out of his house and Criswell is telling us about how sad he is having lost his wife and he crosses uh, out of the frame. And as soon as he gets out of the frame, we hear a shriek of a car and a man screaming. (laughs) Uh, And that's supposed to be him getting hit by a car. The only problem is when they, Froze the frame when they stopped the film. Magosi's shadow is still in the shot, yet <laughs> hasn't cleared the shot yet. So, um, yeah, all those things are kind of kind of fun. But uh, the uh, uh, that's the other thing I think I would say about as far as not doing, not trying your best. He you really wasn't trying any best. If somebody was really trying their best, they would really look at the assets they had. Yeah, and they would say what can i do with these things that i have uh they wouldn't say let me make this sort of science fiction epic that involves military you know and involves elaborate spaceships and and a and a, and a, a graveyard slash cemetery well it see seems- what i
1: didn't understand about the graveyard so obviously they were in they were filming the scenes outside you know well you know at the site.
2: Well, the gravesite at the beginning is yes. yeah the grave so then... <laughs> grave site that we end up with in the rest of the film that was all shot on a sound stage
1: that's what i'm saying so i didn't understand why if they were filming outside before why couldn't they film it all outside i mean i, I don't know you have this... that great scene of the two grave diggers, and they're yes. looking at the <laughs> they're I... looking at the interior uh, stuff that was shot in interior it doesn't yeah. match at all it's I... I mean i just don't understand i mean outside would be the easiest place to film you would think
2: you would think so i mean the only conceivable reason that i can think of is that he wanted to work in that crypt uh and, the, and he wanted to have the, the cemetery look a certain way i mean it's kind of ridiculous when you stop and think about it that a, a cemetery in los angeles is so poorly maintained that they got all these trees you know uh, barren trees and uh, uh, crucifixes and tombstones sticking up at odd angles and uh that doesn't look like a very well-maintained cemetery that looks like a graveyard that you would see in an old horror movie maybe that's what he wanted but the problem is he couldn't get the things that he needed like for instance the crypt looks like a child's. yeah it's too
1: small the people have to duck when they come out of it
2: (laughs) it's easily a a foot or foot and a half shorter than any of the people playing in the movie including the the the, the female uh, actors uh, why would you want to use something like it looks absurd right from the start you know and all the tombstones and things are sticking up out of the ground uh, there, there's so many of them that it's impossible to imagine where anybody could be buried where's the plot and it's yeah. just like tombstones and, and and crosses sticking out of the ground so you think
1: you think it was like uh was did any anybody on this film have it like maybe previous experiences like theater and that's where well edward uh, set design okay so it's been a while since I've seen the Tim Burton movie. I couldn't remember what his background was, but hey, I mean, I, I guess that, that kind of explains that cemetery.
2: Yeah, it does. I think that that probably uh, shows the Edward uh, set dressing aesthetic at its uh, at its peak. <laughs> the funny thing is there are the most effective shots in the movie are also in those scenes, like the shots of Vampyra creeping around and the shots of her and Tor Johnson creeping around and the shot of him climbing out of his grave until it becomes obvious that he can't get out of the cage (laughs) Uh, all of that stuff is pretty effective you know you would be pretty happy if you were doing a horror movie and you had a couple of shots like that in it uh problem is it's a science fiction movie really so you know uh doesn't really doesn't really make sense that in a way you could give him you could give edward credit for uh being ahead of his time in the in the way that he is uh mixing genres you know and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did From Dust Till Dawn. Everybody was saying how it was a, a mashup of genres, it's right. a cr- crime thing, and it was a, a vampire thing. Uh, I suppose you could argue that Edward was do- doing a sort of mashup of alien invasion story and gothic horror.
1: So, is he responsible for Alien?
2: uh a Ridley well, Scott film? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'd have to be very, very generous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of a movie that you really could honestly say uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space inspired, other than parodies and things like that. No, or, yeah. uh, I, I don't really know. I don't think that, uh, can't think of anything that really, but he was there first. And he also, the point has been made on online and, so, and some articles about this film, that he was a little bit ahead of the curve with the conspiracy theory idea. Right. that is something that he's he's has uh some of the characters talking about how the government is keeping it hushed up that there are aliens invading uh but the, the he falls on his ass because the ideas the story if if we want to be kind the story is kind of weak and nonsensical uh the aliens are coming here because they want us to stop using nuclear weapons or they want us it's a similar plot to um the day the earth stood still yeah the aliens are coming to tell us knock it off knock
1: it off you're going to destroy everything yeah Yeah. (laughs) and instead of coming and instead of coming out and just saying that they 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 always find a
0: way yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) and in this case the scheme is they're going to get us to uh cooperate with them by raising the dead uh, and scaring us I mean, it doesn't really make sense yeah and he, he even even if he's okay well that's the premise they're raising the dead so you would need like thousands and thousands of zombies to be uh, to be effective right instead they raise uh raise up a, a an old man a, a 400 pound police investigator Todd johnson uh and Vampire, who is a tv host a horror host yeah. and that's the the other absurdity is that these people die and at least two of them when they come back they come back as sort of movie vampires yeah. instead of you know. <laughs> i assume that Bell lugosi wasn't uh, the character he was playing the old man wasn't buried wearing count Dracula costume yeah, i would hope not i mean Bell lugosi was buried wearing his count Dracula costume yeah but uh, i don't think that uh, i mean that Todd Johnson he came back as you know you could see he's wearing like a suit so that makes sense but vampire uh, are we supposed to believe that that was Bela Lugosi's wife?
1: Yeah. And that's what that's what they say, but I remember reading somewhere that uh, even though Bela Lugosi was credited just as the man, you know, man-goal or something, I think Ed Wood originally wanted him to play Bela in the. Yeah, he wanted him to be himself in the film.
2: He wanted uh, Bela Lugosi to play Bella Lugosi.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even though he's credited as just man goal or however they worded it.
2: Well, I know in the screenplay that he wrote, uh, he used the word Dracula to describe Belagosi's
1: character. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe that's okay. what I read here. Yeah.
2: And that's another example, I guess, of how sloppy and, and how rushed uh, his work was. I mean, he was, he actually created a, a character for Belagosi, and I assume he uses the, the character's name at some point. Uh, but just as a shorthand, he keeps describing the character later in the script as Dracula uh you know it doesn't look like he had a sort of i don't know i'm trying to think of what would be a good example when i was a kid in grammar school we sometimes put on shows and i sort of got a reputation as being somebody who could come up with stories and scripts for for shows mm-hmm. and the, the idea was always okay well these are the people we have this is the place we're going to do. We'll write something that you know where we can use all those things so you end up sort of using these <clears throat> stock things these types um and that's you, you get the feeling that that's what he was doing here it's dracula
0: well, yeah it's not,
2: it's not really dracula it's belmezzi and he's playing an old man no no it's dracula and what he's he's going to uh, I, there's a certain honesty it uh, connected to it in a way he's saying this guy is known as dracula and that's why people who might come to this movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> <come> to it <laughs> oh why don't we be honest and say yeah dracula dracula okay um and Bela Lugosi, throughout his career, was sort of playing variations on Dracula. Uh, so I guess it's not really, I'm sure he didn't complain. Uh, now, but, wouldn't, wouldn't Universal
1: still own the rights to that look?
2: Well, they- Or is uh, it just the name
1: that they own?
2: They don't own the rights to anything anymore. I mean, they own the rights to the film Dracula and any sort of photographs or any sort of material that comes from the film, but they- uh, Actually, it turned out that they uh, they they acquired the rights from Bram Stoker's widow uh, uh, to develop the uh, play and the book as a film, because the first the film the book first got made into a successful play, uh, that and then Universal guess like, bought the rights to that, and I assume they also bought the book rights, and they would have had to because their film covered a lot more ground than. The play did. The play was right. pretty much all in one place, but it turns out years later uh, there's some question as to whether or not they ever needed to buy the rights to the book, because apparently the book was never under copyright in the United States, and that was back in, you know, a time when the copyright laws were even more confused than they are now. But in any case, uh, Universal, for years after they did Dracula, they sort of browbeat other studios into not doing sequels. That's pretty much stuck until the 1950s. 1950s when I think it was the same year, 57, when Hammer did ha- Horror of Dracula and the same time an American company did Return of Dracula. But up to that point, all the films that uh, like Columbia did, uh, they did um, MGM and Columbia. MGM did A Mark of the Vampire and Columbia did Return of the Vampire. And clearly they wanted Bell Lugosi because they wanted it to be taken as a Dracula-like character, but they couldn't use the name. They had to come up with other character names and a sort of dis- distinct look, just because they were afraid that Universal would sue them. Uh, so yeah, Universal never really owned the rights to anything. You know? right. They own the rights to their movie, that's yeah. pretty much it. Uh, Bell estate, they sort of established uh, a precedent in California law they sued uh, to uh, get money from the companies that were using Bill Lugosi's likeness on posters and and model kits and things like that. And I, I forget how it turned out, but eventually uh, I think he might have lost the suit. Uh, the Bill Lugosi estate lost the suit, but California established a law uh, that protects uh, people's likenesses from exploitation after right. their death. So now, if you wanted to use Bell Lagosi's likeness, you would have to pay uh, the Lugosi estate some percentage i assume Is that, were you planning <laughs> you were yeah, planning <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no I just, I just thought it was weird that he wore that same you know the Dracula outfit in this I figured that would be i figured that would be something that they would own.
2: Yeah, uh, the uh, the outfit that Dracula wore in the movie was similar to this outfit he wore on the stage. And the stage uh, production of Dracula, uh, it's in, when it started in England, they were going for more of a, a stage magician look, because that was the look for stage magicians. It was always the sort of opera cape and the white tie and tails, and sometimes a top hat. And usually the Draculas at that time had uh, what looked older they had a white mustache or a white beard and things like that when it came out to the United States, they were thinking more uh, of a more uh, younger more romantic figure uh, uh, David Scal, the guy that writes books about uh, universal films, he uh, used the term moldy Valentino and that was that's pretty accurate uh, Valentino was the big sex symbol of the day in the twenties at least, and Lagozi was sort of catching that vibe he was sort of picking up on that vibe of um a sexy uh at least in terms of the times sexy european slightly eccentric aristocratic figure you know uh when you watch dracula and you see the way the character of lucy sort of swoons over him when audiences today would think he's kind of a hilarious hilarious uh, character yeah uh, but she's talking about him as oh what a catch you know uh that sort of gives you an idea of how attitudes have changed over the years about what is attractive but Lugosi in his day was a pretty striking looking fellow certainly that was he was at his peak then Uh, he was actually I think close to 40 he might have been over 40 when he played Dracula Uh, and that was another problem with the later part of his life which might have led to the unfortunate circumstances that he was in when he had to do Ed Wood's movies which that he really didn't have many years as an attractive leading man because he was already 40 when he did Dracula. Uh, And he was a a, a drug addict, uh, sadly, morphine, I guess. Uh, And he was a cigar smoker, uh, pretty heavy cigar smoker if you look at his teeth. Um, And uh, the the ravages of his various illnesses uh, showed on his face. So when you get to plan nine or even the film that he did for edward Wood previ- previously prior to the monster he looks like a very old man yeah you know, and he looks very sickly and frail so uh yeah
1: well it's still so it, it just the same thing same thing happens today you know what i'm saying you have actors that were big back in the day and now they're doing these you know, just low budget. We've talked about some of them. The stuff that Mel Novak's now doing, right. <laughs> you know, sort of the same thing. And of yes. course, a lot, a lot of the movie, a lot of these cheaper movies that are being made today remind me of. You know, they're no budget at all. They're all they're all filmed in. I'm assuming the I'm assuming these people are just renting a mansion in California. <laughs> and well, They're all filmed in the same.
2: <laughs> they're also the, they're all in different rooms. In the same yeah. Place. Well, the Mel Novak movie that you mentioned uh, is Robo Woman, right?
1: Yeah, but wow, yeah. he's done he's done a, like a bunch of other cheaper, like you know, these low budget films.
2: But you're right in the sense that in Robo Woman, they're doing the same fucking thing with the shower curtains or the yeah or the, the blue uh, uh, construction cover all wrinkled up and with creases in it all hanging behind that's supposed to be the interior of a hospital you know uh or some sort of science fictiony uh a lab of some kind so you're right they are these these films that are that are that we're laughing at today uh do have the sort of uh spiritual uh soulmate in, in plan nine I, I i, I doubt
1: it. they're doing intention i doubt they're going hey we're gonna make you know ed wood films but
2: <laughs> no but you know what the, what ed wood because of the reputation and the and the fame that he's uh, developed uh, i think that a lot of people who are doing shitty movies they look at ed wood and say well he got away with it everybody thinks he's great you know so why can't we uh i wish there was something that could be done about that yeah no <laughs> Because I, I don't know, I think the problem when, when you have a lot of cheap movies, back in Ed Wood's day, there wasn't any great danger of him or anybody like him being able to flood the market with garbage. Yeah. But nowadays, you could conceivably do that. The way things are set up, uh, uh, a platform like Amazon Prime, for instance, uh, can damage its reputation if they have too much you know, stuff that looks like home movies uh, on their site. Uh, so... Yeah, that's the downside of it. Uh, there there was something charming about Ed Wood's films that you don't really see in, in the modern films, and I think part of it is uh, up to Plan 9, at least, uh, he stuck to fairly family-friendly concepts. Uh, I mean, the, the guy who was financing the film may have objected to the word of great grave robbers, but for the most part his films were devoid of nudity and uh gore or any sort of con- controversial themes other than glenn or glenda is, this is the epitome of a controversial theme but the genre films that he did like uh, bride of the monster and plan nine they're pretty straightforward uh rated g type uh horror movies like you could easily see them being run in for kitty matinees yeah. and then towards uh after the failure of those films he got into porn, and you start to see that growing with films like *Orgy of the Dead, which is basically a stag reel with a couple of people wearing werewolf and mummy costumes and Chriswell sitting in a coffin. Incidentally, Criswell apparently uh, was used to being in coffins. He grew up in an undertaker family, uh, so he had coffins all around him growing up. So if he seems at home in Argy of the Dead, sitting in his coffin, it's because apparently he did a lot of that when he was a kid, uh, but that's a terrible film. It's a terrible waste. It's not even sexy, you know, it's shot in such a sense. You can't even say it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, titillating. Uh, it's just stupid and boring, you know, nicely shot. I would give them that. The photography in Edward's movies was always at least competent. You know, I don't think you could really say that uh, he goes down to the level of some of the low budget films that are being done nowadays, or this low budget films that were being done in the eighties, where very often it's impossible to even see what's going on, you know, grainy or if they were shot on uh, SVHS or Betacam, they just look horrifying, you know. So we can give him credit for at least that. He made movies that looked like movies almost. Yeah,
1: they didn't they weren't like hard to look at.
0: Right.
2: And and the sound, the audio recording was mostly presentable, you know, Uh, he had those things down pat. Uh, So his big problem was scripts and uh, he never really solved that problem. Is there anything about this movie that you find particularly entertaining without being something that's wrong? I mean, is there any good stuff that actually is legitimately uh, entertaining to you or amusing?
1: if i was going to think of something that that i thought would i don't i don't know i don't i really can't think of anything that i would
0: yeah i just i just
1: i guess i'm just watching it and sort of like as sort of like poking fun at it you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. With even with the like the way the the aliens are acting you know what i'm oh, saying yeah. they're with the one the yeah, one guy you know when he starts calling them all stupid uh, <laughs> and he's kind of playing, boy, stupid <laughs> And of course, the I guess the whoever the lead alien is, he's obviously wearing some kind of uh, medieval outfit. It's got like a shield and an axe on it. He looks like something from, you know, uh, medieval times or something.
2: Yeah, well, they. Uh, uh, Edward was a big film fan. I'm sure he saw all the Flash Gordon serials, and Universal shot the Flash Gordon serials on the cheap. And they just raided the costume and prop department for all their other movies and everybody in the flash Gordon serials were always dressed in costumes from various ages you know uh, uh stuff that you would normally be seeing you know like a robin hood or or, Robin
1: Hood, yeah prince valiant something like that
2: right uh so that in that sense i guess edward thought he was getting away with something He said oh gosh sure they can you know, just put him in a tunic uh, that was worn by a prussian soldier or whatever and uh, uh, and it'll be he'll be fine but the guy that he got to play the ruler which is the name the character yeah. <laughs> the ruler uh is uh bunny breckenridge who was played by bill murray in, in tim burton's film. Yeah. uh what an extraordinarily campy performance i mean he's he's practically prancing on on the set it's uh, it, it's almost as if uh edward wanted that as sort of an inside joke uh, bunny breckenridge was a a fairly wealthy socialite somehow fell into the orbit of Ed Wood. Uh, apparently, even uh, back at that time, he was already expressing his desire to have a sex change operation. This is around the time when sex change operations were first becoming possible. I guess Christine Jorgensen was the first big uh, story of a sex change operation. And Bunny Breckenridge desperately wanted to have a sex change operation. Apparently, he, he uh, uh, I don't know if you could say he worked as a drag queen, but apparently he performed or or lived as a drag queen at least some of the time, uh, which I guess maybe put him into the same uh, orbit as Ed Wood, because he was a, a transvestite as well. But um, he never got his sex change operation. Gore Vidal, the famous author, he wrote a book called Myra Breckenridge, which is sort of a, wildly fictionalized version of this guy's life uh but again you say why in the world would anybody pick somebody I mean, i'm mean, i glad he did because it's, yeah it's delightful to see <laughs> uh, but why would anybody pick somebody like that uh, to play a character and i was clear that breckenridge apparently couldn't even be bothered to learn all the dialogue because at a certain point he, he picks up what appears to be a script uh when he says oh yes plan nine and he picks up the script to read what plan nine is yeah he's
1: reading yeah yeah that, that even that whole scene felt like to me like a play stage play yes, I mean, yes very much yes. Can't, we just we had the camera sitting in the middle and you know they they were using the entire set you know walking back and forth doing the knobs for the door and all that
2: well that that one moment struck me as being similar to uh, uh who is the guy that red letter media was always making fun of cameron cameron mitchell yeah was he has a couple of scenes in some of the movies he did later where he he looks like he's reading script too <laughs> yeah they don't even bother to hide it right they just put it right in the set on the, on the set right in front of him you know. and they come up with some excuse for him to be reading something yeah like I, a
1: file or some kind of like he's looking at a file or something
2: right. yes but uh the uh, if edward had any sort of self-awareness he would have looked at this and he would have said this is awful i got a." I got to make a joke out of this yeah yeah but he never seemed to i mean maybe when he got into the porno days apparently some of the porno films he did have sort of uh intentionally campy or silly um, you know attitude but these uh these gothic melodramas that he did they're just you know really serious and it makes them that much more hilarious
1: yeah yeah i think if i if i had to think about what i thought was the best i think the the tor johnson of emperor stuff was yeah i think more of that would have helped it out because i mean basically it was just her walking back and forth (laughs) and they would just intercut it with whatever the cops standing there
2: i love when tor johnson delivers his couple of lines and he, he just uh i forget what he he has one line there where he mispronounces it in such an extraordinary way I don't know what's going on over in Sweden that they uh, have such extraordinary. Uh, <laughs> he says uh, a medical examiner he's trying to pronounce medical examiner. When is the medical examiner going to get? Go? And he says medical examiner. Medical
0: examiner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: so that's wonderful. You know, I, I, nobody would ever think of that. You know, you couldn't couldn't come up with something like that. No. And and the whole idea of having a four hundred pound Swedish wrestler playing a police detective in, in los angeles is you know inspired in a way
1: yeah and i his character dies too there's a they go immediately to the funeral <laughs> right, right he dies and they're at the funeral and i was like how many days like there's no time frame in this movie at all
2: well they had nowhere to go other than yeah. the, those little sets apparently the whole thing other than those uh exterior things that we talked about the uh, belagozy footage and the, the grave diggers everything else was shot in a fairly small studio called quality studios <laughs> <laughs> but i think at one time it had a long history and i think it was uh in existence uh the, the building at least was in existence up to fairly recently when it was demolished uh but back in the 80s when it would star stars started to rise uh they did a couple of documentaries they did one called the plan nine companion and they actually sent uh Uh, the guy that plays the the goofy uh, cop, what's his name? Uh, uh, Patrolman Kelton. Right. Uh, They sent the actors, Paul Marco, apparently was in a couple of Edwards films. They sent him to the studio to sort of walk around and show what it looks like. That was in the 1980s. And so if you're curious to see the building that those scenes were all shot on, uh, you should seek that film out, the Plan 9, companion
1: you have to look for it now even the the exterior of the pilot's house was that also on that was set? also a set yeah that was okay because a- i noticed yeah. the fence the fence looked kind of weird it looked like it was cut up made out of paper but then the, ha- well, the house yeah. the actual house part looked decent <laughs> yeah
2: that 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 one set that looked fine but yeah. my my assumption is that that probably was an existing thing that was there i don't think they built that right yeah because uh the guy who plays the pilot, his name is uh, Gregory Walcott, who apparently he he had been an actor before that, and he continued to have a career after that, amazingly. Uh, and he said when he was on, he went onto the set, and he was asking where the cockpit set was, and uh, Ed Wood told him it'll be here in a minute. You know, uh, he liked the set for the backyard, which looked presentable. Like I say, that probably was already there. Yeah. Uh, when the time came to, for the cockpit set, they had, two carpenters came in with a couple of planks. They bent it so it would make an arch, and they put a sh- the shower curtain, a board and back, and a shower curtain. And they had the uh, pilots sitting on chairs with uh, the chest held microphones that they don't use in commercial yeah awards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, a strange triangular thing that's in front of them is supposed to be the control. Panel, a sort of black triangle in front of him. i don't know what that was made out of but so uh, in a way when i see those things you think to yourself you know it really isn't that hard to create the proper effect in a different type of movie if you were if you just needed one quick shot inside of a, a cockpit you might be able to get away with something like that if it was had a little more detail yeah uh, if it was lit a little uh, more convincingly i noticed
1: they had a uh, drafting compass hanging up on the wall (laughs) on the (laughs) co-pilot
2: yeah why not right i mean maybe it was it was already there i don't know (laughs) Uh, a lot of times when you look at the stuff that's on the walls in all of uh, edward's movies uh, they turn out to be things that he's used before i know uh, there's a site called uh, d to rights uh, that has a segment uh, called uh, e- Edward Wednesdays and the guy who writes that focuses on all the minutiae about Edward's films and all the books he wrote and he actually has a pod, uh, a video uh, podcast now similar to what we're doing uh, and uh, he mentioned in one of his articles that you could identify particularly in like the porno films or the films he made in the 70s you could identify the same pieces of furniture and the same wall hangings from movie to movie so that may have been also true back in his plan nine days you know right. uh, some of the sets though uh so, so some uh, you, like i say you look at it and you say gee they almost got away with that uh and then other things you say oh my god how, why did they ever think that that would work
1: i can give you i will give you an example of a recent movie that also has a really bad and it was the glenn dancing veronica movie ah yeah, yeah there's a theater scene <clears throat> and uh for the for the camera or not you know not the, not the camera but for the uh projector they basically had a box fan setting in front of a light which works but right. you don't show it and right, they right. they pull back so far that you see the box fan setting up in the in a hole in the wall with a light behind it and that was their. i mean the, yeah. the effect works but you just don't want to show the box fan don't there. show the fan
2: yeah. <laughs> well uh danzig might be an example of somebody who uh sort of uh uses ed wood's work as a as not just a source of inspiration but also as a an excuse all right yeah i know be. danzig the, the misfits uh their original name was something like plan their, nine
1: something. the record label was oh, plan the record label, label yeah. i think is what it
2: was so clearly there's a connection there right they, they, he is aware of uh of uh plan nine and uh, ed wood's work uh I, mean, I admire that, and I've had to do a certain amount of that uh, myself. And I know um, uh, Joe Dante, uh, who is a director that we all know from yeah. Gremlins and The Howling and all that. His first big breakthrough was when he wrote an article for Famous Monsters magazine, where he listed, and he was just a kid then, I guess. Uh, he sent it along to Fari J. Ackerman, and fari J. liked it, and he published it. Uh, I also have an, a, a letter that was published. <laughs> That's my big claim to fame, too. <laughs> well, that'll be in my obituary. You know, forget about the movies. I uh, yeah. wrote, wrote a letter that appeared in <laughs> in, in yeah. Famous Monsters magazine. And I actually have here a almost mint condition copy of the a special Lugosi oh, nice. edition of Famous Monsters. And naturally, when you open it up, uh some of the first images you see here i just opened the book and the first image that we see is dawg johnson yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now
1: is, is that the issue your your letters in this is not no oh, okay
2: mine is an issue that has the creature of the black lagoon on it, it was a oh, later okay. a later issue and i was writing in to find out about rod serling's health because i had read in the long island press that he had had a heart attack and i didn't know if that was the rod serling from twilight zone so i wrote to famous monsters and they answered and they published the letter and they answered i think by the time they published the letter Rod song had already died right yeah of course uh, now we have the internet that's it yes back (laughs) then there was no way to find out about obscure well it certainly wasn't obscure but he wasn't right yeah there was no way to find out about his health you know if you were interested but anyway uh dante wrote this article and he listed plan nine as one of the worst films ever or whatever the the theme of the article was and in recently as he said he sort of regretted it because he now knows how bad it is to make even a bad movie how hard it is to make even a bad movie Uh, and that's something that i definitely that thought has crossed my mind so many times over the years after doing my film the effort that goes into making even a film that everybody hates uh, is just amazing and so i do respect edward i just wish he had put a little more thought and effort and time into it you know he, yeah i
1: think i think you're correct though if he would have had the hindsight to say let me just let me just poke fun at all these sci-fi movies with the gigantic ants and you know then he yeah he probably could have had a <laughs> a hit yeah. on his hand
2: yeah it might have been he might have been the first i, mean, I, don't, I don't
1: know if spoof spoof movies were big back then i don't know what this first spoof movie really it was so.
2: Yeah, he could, they, been, they, he
1: could have been groundbreaking.
2: <laughs> it would have been, I think, because there there were films like uh, Hell's a Poppin', which was based on a, a popular uh, stage play that had a lot of, almost like Monty Python type sketches, all sort of nonsensical stuff and breaking the fourth wall and, you know, it was uh, that sort of thing had been established. You also see a lot of that in, in the Marx Brothers movies and sometimes in the Three Stooges shorts. Um, uh uh Bing Crosby and uh Bob Hope did a series of on the road movies where they sometimes made fun of the movie conventions they were kind of parodies of of the movies they were making Bob Hope did a thing called um, my favorite brunette which was a spoof of the private detective uh genre very entertaining movie by the way Uh, uh the Warner Brothers cartoons always had parodies of uh horror movies detective movies science fiction movies i mean Doc dodges in the 24th century or whatever right, it was yeah. uh the famous one with um uh the uh peter laurie impersonation mm-hmm. uh, where he's playing a gangster you know and and they have like an edward g robinson gangster right, oh yeah. i'm really mad now <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and uh they, they did a lot of parody stuff they frequently had uh, caricatures of famous hollywood stars in their movies uh so there was all of that but i don't think anybody and i, I might be missing something but i don't think anybody ever said let's make a movie which is just an out and out parody of bad movies you know right, let's yeah. intentionally make a bad movie and, and to have fun with it i don't think that really uh, happened and i think probably you don't really see that until i mean obviously like movies like money python Python, the holy grail uh there's a little bit of a suggestion of the ineptitude of the filmmakers like um they have the the subtitles keep getting screwed up uh, yeah well well, the opening titles keep getting screwed up and they keep having they keep saying we've sacked the guy that did the title and now we're going to start it. uh that's of
1: mel brooks would have been before that Mel brooks yes Uh, that's what high anxiety he uh, did silent uh, film (laughs) and young
2: frankenstein what was his? Uh, did he do any parody films before that? I guess the first two films he did were uh, pretty straightforward. There there was 12 chairs and he did The Producers. Right. Which yeah. is a, yeah, this movie. And I guess there's a little bit of parody in that, but it's parody of Broadway shows. But I guess Young Frankenstein would have been the first out and out parody that he did, right? Where the idea was to do it just like a Frankenstein movie at that time. You're but you're making it, fun of it. Make fun of it, yeah. Turn it into a comedy. So yeah, I guess you're right. Mel Brooks probably would have been the first, uh, and then later you have the Zucker brothers uh, doing their uh, parodies, some of which are so act you know so close to the original source material that you sometimes when you watch the original films you think, you know, <laughs> hey, where's that joke that I remember? Yet? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that, I guess Mel Brooks has to take the time, and I guess a lot of TV shows too. There were probably a lot of TV shows that would do like uh Sid Caesar was doing your show of shows they did a lot of spoofs of of movies on on that show um, that was
1: uh like car 54 would that would that have been like a spoof of like a police dramas or was that well, just was that just a comedy
2: I think that probably was more just a straightforward uh, something like the monsters you could say is probably yeah. a, a parody because they're actually using the, the the characters really Dracula and Frankenstein and uh at least the universal versions of those characters and it's entirely comedic. um What would be another example? Um, My favorite Martian, maybe, is a parody of of space invasion movies. Maybe, All right. You know.
1: A lot of those. I TVs... guess the Flintstones was a parody of uh, Honeymooners, technically. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's
2: true. Yeah. That's and that's probably one of the. Of course, a lot of people would just if they were uncharitable, they would say it's just a ripoff. They just. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Warner Brothers uh, did a a, a phony. A honeymooners cartoon i think they did two of them i think it was called the honey mousers and the characters were exactly like yeah him. yeah
1: i remember those
2: yeah. uh so and that so that that's a real uh you know i guess you could say it's a loving a loving huma- homage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ripping them off uh, but uh anyway uh yeah he could have been uh he could have been a contender if he had had a little more self awareness. And he obviously had it in him to write about very controversial stuff uh, because, and uh, and also live as a very unconventional person. Uh, One of the things that's not really discussed uh, as far as I can find uh, online is how we're supposed to view Ed Wood now when there's been so much of a change in attitude and way of thinking about trans people. Uh, When Ed Wood was alive, uh, the only way he could... Uh, escape uh, being com- a complete outcast was to claim that he was entirely straight. He was a straight man. He j- just like women, but he had this little weakness he liked to put on women's clothes. Right. To be honest with you, I don't know if I'd buy that. I mean, I suppose it's possible that a man could have a, a sexual fetish, that he, ne- he he needs to have the feel of women's clothes on him, or he needs to dress as a woman and be humiliated by his partner that way. In order to uh, achieve orgasm. But those people do that privately. You know, when they hire a dominatrix or something, or whatever the scenario is, that's when they put on the women's clothes. They don't go through their daily lives popping up in public in full drag.
1: Yeah. Now, did he really do that, or was that just in the uh, Tim Burton movies? I remember in the movie, he showed up on the set. I mean, I didn't know if he really done Uh it.
2: Well, there's a little confusion as to uh, the, the sort of the idea that he shot all he directed all his movies in drag. That part apparently is an exaggeration. He directed Glenn or Glender in drag because he was starring in the movie and the character oh, yeah. in the movie was wearing drag. But he did show up in public in drag. And apparently as he got older, this became something he did more frequently. Uh, he was able to control himself enough to control his compulsion uh to be able to marry at least two women women who didn't know he was a transvestite when they married him they found out afterwards so he obviously was able to control it a little bit but there are stories about him. there's one uh i guess he's a film producer a book publisher who said that he met with uh ed wood in a public place and i guess a fairly swanky uh, restaurant or bar and wood came to the table, the the waiter brought him to the table, the maitre d' brought him to the table in full drag. (laughs) I don't know if he was wearing a wig, uh, but apparently he added to the bizarreness of it by having several days growth a beard. So he was a very unusual person. uh, And I guess he really couldn't afford to say, I'm not sure about my sexuality, I'm exploring my sexuality. And it doesn't necessarily, it's not to say that Every gay person has tendencies towards transvestitism, but what do we see Edward as now? Is he? Is it? Is there such a thing as a person who is just uh, a, a straight man, normal, so to speak, in every other respect, except he likes to occasionally slip into uh, bra and panties? Or is this a sign of? His desire to be a trans person, meaning, in other words, oh, yeah he has sexual dys- what do they say? dysmorphia or whatever the term is. Mm-hmm. He's not sure. In other words, he w- would have been interested in pursuing that the, the same way that uh, Bruce Jenner became Caitlin Jenner late in life. Maybe he would have been interested in doing that as well. And he surrounded himself with people. Uh, Bunny Breckenridge was somebody who also wanted to be a, a, have a sex change operation. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how to, uh, how we can define what he was, other than to say he was a very unusual person. And because he was a terrible alcoholic, and towards the end of his life, it seemed to get worse and worse. If you read um, that book, Nightmare of Ecstasy, the, I guess the author's name is Rudolf Gray, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I think it was one of the first popular books Uh, to really go into depth in depth about edward's life and have it has a whole bunch of uh, interviews with people that lived and worked with him and the end was very very grim right he was uh, repeatedly being thrown out of places you know he he, 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 uh, the place he was living in when he died was a friend's apartment that he ended up in because he'd been thrown out of the previous place apparently when he was thrown out of the previous place uh which was a dive apparently so it must have been humiliating to be thrown out of it uh but uh, when he was thrown out of that place they took all his stuff and just put it in trash so he lost all the memorabilia that he'd been collecting over the years all that stuff went into the garbage i have to admit uh if something like that happened to me i got a pretty large collection of garbage as well (laughs) (laughs) but it's not ready for the garbage yet and i hope that i don't live to see it being put in the garbage it would be heartbreaking speaking of which I should mention that i am the proud owner of this thing if i can lift it (laughs) (laughs) this is a life mask of bill lugosi
1: oh nice and what, what was that from
2: this was done for uh return of the vampire as a matter of fact i think that some of the shots at the end of the movie when he's decomposing they might have used uh the stuff that was taken for cast from this uh rick baker also if i didn't get the story wrong he owns one of these uh, another copy of the same mm-hmm. life mask and he uh used it when he was developing the prosthetic makeup for martin landau in the ed wood film uh, when he was playing bill Lugosi yeah. which is a wonderful performance oh yeah uh,
1: yeah it was great yeah I think him, that's and, him and Bill Murray were like my favorite very, parts very, of that. <laughs> very entertaining
2: I mean it's the sort of film that's just filled with wonderful turns I know Sarah Sarah Jessica Parker usually doesn't get her or proper uh recognition but she's very good in that too oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of scenes that really hinge on her reactions to things and she's very funny uh also the sopranos guy doesn't he play the producer that hires uh <clears throat> I, I forget the guys i name, believe is. so yeah and his performance is very funny uh <laughs> i mean try to imagine yeah but they're so how...
1: the i mean the characters that they're playing were so seem bigger than life anyways i mean they yeah. probably had a bunch of fun doing it
2: oh i imagine so yeah and it was the right approach to take rather than to go for grim realism to actually turn it into a hollywood movie to make right yeah the edward story into a hollywood movie uh it's unfortunate that edward didn't have the uh talent to do something like that himself because his story obviously was interesting you know i mean edward wasn't a successful film uh, but uh, still the studio thought it would be you yeah. know so uh he wrote a book uh, Edward uh did uh called Hollywood Rat Race which is available on the internet archive uh I I have the only copy out right now so you will have to wait <laughs> okay. till I finish with it but uh I'll try to get it back into uh into the mainstream as quickly as possible so you folks can watch it I can read it it's very interesting to read because it does show the problem he wasn't a stupid man right he had no insight into himself he he didn't um he was just shy of being smart i think he's just you know he's on the verge of smartness uh he was clever but he was clever in the way like a a parrot imitates things that it hears Uh, all his writing is just seems to be sort of cliche phrases that he hears heard from and read in other books or heard in movies so his dialogue is all that and his writing in this book is all that—it's like a compendium of cliches about Hollywood, you know. Uh, but he also was a prolific writer of hardcore pornography. And this raises another interesting question about uh, how we view him as a sort of sexual entity. Uh, one of the books he wrote was, um, what the heck was the name of it? Making a Homo or something? To make a homo. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very this is a book that probably wouldn't be published nowadays because it's about two high school boys who are involved in some sort of sadomasochistic uh, relationship, a uh, bondage or whatever. The title is To Make a Homo. And it's written by Ed Wood Jr., Ed D. Wood Jr. I think maybe just use Ed Wood Jr. Why would he choose to put his name on that book when so many other works of pornography that he put that he wrote he used uh pen names why that book has his name on it why would he want to be associated with that i
1: don't know maybe uh
2: well i'm just suggesting that maybe it gives us an insight into Into,
1: yeah what he what his screw
2: he might not have been as straight as he claimed right yeah
1: and Is i would will... say <clears throat> yeah of course you with know, the other times were different i would say now, nowadays he would have been able to come out without yes ridicule you know what i'm saying right
2: and if he was <clears throat> a trans person uh if he was somebody that saw himself as a woman uh, then that would be different from just being a, a gay man uh, who occasionally puts on you know goes in drag uh and i guess that's really the point not that he was secretly gay but that he w- might have been a trans person he might have been a person who really would have preferred to be a woman there's a there's a lot of fiction in his uh in the biography or the autobiography that he put around like the story that he had uh fought in one of the major battles in the pacific uh wearing women's underclothes he told people that uh uh, the great fear that he had during the war was not that he was going to be killed, but that if he was wounded, the medics would cut open his uniform and find his yes. really under things. Now that makes a great story, but it turns out he didn't, he didn't really do, uh, he wasn't really involved in any sort of major battles. That was all kind of made up. And I don't know, again, it's another perhaps insight into his character. Uh, we wouldn't really think that somebody who lies about being a, uh, you know about seeing uh, action in a, in a war we wouldn't really say that that's a good person I mean, we'd say right, that's yeah. an ethical person you're not supposed to lie about your medical your um, military service right yeah uh but i imagine there's a lot of people that did uh, back back in the day and probably to this day but uh that that sort of makes me he even claimed that he had had his teeth knocked out because he had false teeth He claimed that he had his teeth knocked out by a Japanese soldier that he was fighting. turned out that was all untrue. There's records of multiple visits to the dentist to have his teeth uh, removed. and and, uh, Apparently, he suffered from some sort of parasitic infection that kept him out of uh, the battles. If he would ever have been eligible to fight any battle, he was kept out of it by uh, his illness. So he just made all that stuff up. And my attitude is if somebody is willing to make up one part of the life story then probably they're willing to you know make up a lot of their life story and he was somebody who fancied himself a writer of fiction so you know he did turn out a lot of stuff so yeah. I, he had an imagination uh so i guess we have to give him that much credit
1: and I, the, the, i'm pretty sure plan nine is the only edward movie i've seen so i'm gonna have to go back and watch some of the other ones
2: yeah well it's worth it's worth taking a look at some of them i mean Glenn or Glenda glender is probably the most remarkable thing and it's sort of relevant to what we're talking about here as far as his sexual identity because it was a movie that was uh, he was hired to make a movie about uh trans uh transsexuals about people who are undergoing sex change surgery because of christine jorgensen and he took the opportunity to turn that into a movie about transvestitism specifically his transvestitism right so it is uh it is an intimate movie it is him speaking it's his plea for tolerance for his little peculiarity uh it's funny how things change it was just i guess in the late 80s when when that movie started to circulate i think uh i forget which studio it was they actually re-released it to theaters they put it in uh, i guess they put it out mostly for for midnight shows but the reaction was isn't this hilarious yeah uh it was just derision that this guy was telling the story about how he likes to wear women's clothes and now of course uh, the attitude generally is among uh, you know right thinking people is that somebody shouldn't be mocked or derided just because they, they uh, are interested in dressing as a woman or identifying as a woman. Uh, uh, but um, the, all the most progressive people back in uh, the 80s and 90s, uh, they didn't seem to have any problem having a good
0: laugh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it is, a, it's a, it in a way, you, it, you feel funny watching it because you know the guy is sort of pouring his heart out and the filmmaking choices are just as inept and just as bizarre as they are in, plan nine. Uh, he loved the stock footage and he was inserting stock footage anywhere he could, even though it didn't make any sense. And he has Bella Lugosi in Glenna Glenda. I don't, can't think of a less likely figure that you would want to have in a movie about cross-dressing, right? Uh, and some of the things that Bella Lugosi is saying, the famous line is, pull the chain, pull the chain. What does that mean? Yeah. I don't know what that means. What, he's talking about a toilet? What is he, you know? Uh, that scene when they, the distributors that <clears throat> Edward takes the film to, Glenn and Glenda, uh, sitting in the screening room and just roaring with laughter, because they think it's a practical joke. You know, first they watch it and say, What the fuck is this? Yeah. Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> ah, <laughs> you know, they're roaring with laughter. Uh, I imagine that that's probably the reaction that the film got at the time, but there was no notion that you you could make money with something like that, right? It was like a you know, practical joke. like <laughs> expensive practical practical joke but uh i often wonder what the guy who actually the producer uh, that that hired wood to do that film i often wonder what his reaction was uh, uh presumably it wasn't a positive reaction it's, i don't imagine that movie although that movie was circulating for many years afterwards under different titles so maybe it did make some money i don't know
1: yeah now you have like so you know i guess Planon became popular years years later when it became known for the worst movie ever made and
2: yeah well that's when the cult started yeah the movie itself actually was running on tv in 1961 so right but
1: nobody was i mean it wasn't a big but I, i was trying to think of like so like in today you have somebody like Tommy Wiseau comes out with the room and it's like an instant bad movie and then you know it's popular like almost instantly just because of how bad it is
2: yeah uh, uh, the uh, whether or not something like that is likely to happen again I don't know because first of all I don't know where Tommy Wiseau got supposedly millions to make the film right and I assume it was it probably was expensive because apparently he shot it simultaneously on film and on video yeah (laughs) Uh, uh, so where he got his money for that but the average low-budget filmmaker doesn't have the money to make something like that there is something to be said about uh, the effect of trying to distribute the room as a a mainstream film and putting into theaters and putting billboards up and uh, I guess they they rented a billboard on uh, Hollywood Boulevard or someplace in LA uh the reason why the film is so remarkable the reason why the film is so funny uh is because it isn't presented as some cheap little thing that was, somebody shot a forgettable little thing that just popped up on amazon prime right yeah it was presented as a real movie you know uh, and in that context it becomes hilarious right when people actually go to see this in an actual theater they're sitting with a crowd of people and they hear that dialogue and they see those performances it can't help but be hilarious Uh, ed wood his films apparently didn't get much distribution i mean plan nine didn't get very wide distribution Uh, i imagine in some countries it wasn't released at all Uh, so the only way that that film could uh, finally get its message of hope out to the world was to uh, be shown on television and it was right. repeatedly and people grew up watching it. And I guess by the time anybody was watching it in like 1960, 61, when it first aired, and apparently, Ed Wood was well he was he was still alive. So he could see uh, that his film was being run. I I, seem, I remember reading that he had he used to call people up and tell them that his movie was playing. So, right. so they could watch it. But um, there was no immediate uh, benefit to him. Uh, which is strange because you would think that somebody who has a movie that's showing on television all over the country fairly regularly no matter how bad it is you would think they would be able to parlay that into something you know right yeah get another project going or something Uh, but he didn't apparently Uh, I mean he did other projects after that but it was pretty much a downhill slide Uh, and the I guess we had to wait until the the concept of so bad it's good movies or camp movies when that idea began to uh, form in the, in the in the minds of you know, the great unwashed uh, and even the average person could understand oh i, I know what this is one of those movies uh, that's when plan nine seemed to suddenly blossom and become yeah probably one of the most famous movies ever right i mean uh, i don't know if you've had this experience but uh Whenever I'm having a conversation with people about great filmmakers, or whenever I'm having them about filmmakers just generally, uh, there's always a few names that always come up if the conversation goes on long enough. Uh Stanley Kubrick, Austin Wells, Alfred Hitchcock, Ed Wood. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and it's sort of like he he defined what not to do, you know. Uh so, so I guess that's some kind of accomplishment. It is a shame he never really benefited for, uh, because a lot of people have benefited from his films a lot right, yeah. people who've made a dollar or two at least from uh selling VHS copies or from licensing the movie to television originally or uh and apparently he, he never got anything out of it so that's a shame
1: i would say it's probably public domain now isn't it
2: apparently it is yeah of course
1: i was surprised that when i was you know looking for a copy to watch I just searched for it on the Roku. Uh everybody pretty much had it for free, but you could still actually rent it on <laughs> some of that. Yes. I was like, why would I like YouTube? I think you could rent it on YouTube. Amazon had the option to rent it. I was like
2: Well, one would one would like to think <clears throat> that when you rent the version, when you actually pay for it, you're going to get the most the best, most pristine print. Unfortunately, I've learned from experience that with Amazon that's not the case. Uh so yeah, I don't know what I, I, you see that a lot. A lot of public domain movies are also being offered by uh, YouTube and Amazon and the other other companies. Uh, I suppose, on the other hand, uh, just as a business decision, if there's this great catalog of movies that nobody owns the rights to, if you're a streaming service, why wouldn't you put them up? and See if you could yeah, get a couple of bucks, right?
1: Yeah, I think I was reading there was only like the the cop, like the actual 35 millimeter copies were. They said there was only like 20 that they Only that, struck, right? yeah so i guess yeah. i don't know if if uh anybody still has those or if they're still around or
2: well i read online that as recently as 2020 uh tmt is that the movie channel a tmc uh, they had a uh sort of a script reading a plan nine script reading a lot of famous actors participating and they premiered a new print uh, in the original uh aspect ratio i didn't know that there was an original aspect ratio oh, right so yeah it was pretty much the way we saw it uh but apparently that print is pretty good i don't see it online anywhere most of the prints i do see online are in pretty good shape so that's it's never really been a difficult thing to find a good copy of of plan nine or pride of the monster glenda, most of the glenn glenda prints i've seen are pretty crappy looking but they're not really bad they're not like some of the you know some of the real awful public domain things like manos the hands of fate right Uh, but Manos was actually rescued uh, as well fairly recently within the past 10 years somebody found the original negatives and restored it and put it out uh it doesn't make it a better film but at least it's not such an eyesore
1: Yeah, i'm just assuming that whatever copy i watched had to just been like ripped from a dvd and put on some kind of free streaming service Oh, I just did new know, but you yeah, know, if anybody knew, like, what's the the best copy to watch?
2: I was looking around for the best copy myself, and I found the most pretty much mostly all the same. same. Yeah. yeah, I don't see any high definition copies up online. That's probably because the film was put up uh, ten years ago or more before YouTube started to allow or was able to allow a high definition video. You know? Uh so uh, people put it up once and they never upgraded. At least as far as I can see, right, you know, yeah, possibly it's lurking somewhere in a better better form. Uh, there's probably not any great advantage to seeing it in a better quality because you know I don't what, what, what would we be looking for the great cinematography or you know it's this it is what it is. I think it's pretty much uh, it's never going to get any better.
1: Yeah, so I'm while well, I'm reading here it says due to its mixed use of stock footage, there's no technically correct aspect ratio in which the film uh-huh. could be shown. With the material shot for the film is framed for a matted widescreen mm-hmm. presenting the film at one eighty-five one removes any of the visible errors. This yeah. in turns over crops the stock footage, which was produced years earlier at one thirty-three one.
2: Yes. So well, uh, you'd, have to also, re,
1: you'd have to reshoot the stock footage. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, cropping the image for the sort of 185 to one sort of widescreen look uh, also might eliminate some of those charming things like the cardboard boxes under the tables <laughs> right, yeah. and the extension cords. And well, it's,
1: it's interesting. It's- We're talking about that because uh, Netflix recently picked up the entire series of Seinfeld and they put it on. Mm-hmm. And they're not shown in any original four by three. They're they've cropped it down, so there's a bunch of stuff missing from the episodes mm. <laughs> where they've where they've you know they've cropped it and it's and it's you know and it's cutting stuff out. and everybody's complaining about it.
2: Well, I know uh, Disney had a similar problem with The Simpsons. They yeah, about, yeah. Uh, I don't. I. Uh, it's it's interesting because right around now, and I have a little bit of a personal stake in this because m- both of my movies were shot uh four by three you know uh standard screen aspects which is
1: aspect. like now four by three is just that's you're not cropping you're not doing that's just the normal film size right
2: it's what they used to call standard screen because tv was that aspect ratio roughly square right and it also is roughly the same as the what they used to call the academy aspect ratio because all movies used to be four by three yeah one thirty three to one i guess is the uh other way to express but is that it.
1: just the like if you were shooting 35 millimeter that would just be that that film size right is that how it matches if, up or
2: if you're shooting an anamorphic uh i mean there's different types of film stocks and there's different type of lenses oh, okay uh but if you were just using a regular 35 millimeter frame it would be the full frame okay uh, when hollywood decides it wants to get a cheap widescreen, they shoot it full frame and then they yeah it try and cut it up, bottom. yeah uh, the Seinfeld was probably shot on film. I think it's certainly shot on film. Probably. Yeah. So the, the cropping it to, uh, you know, for a widescreen effect probably isn't as damaging, although it eliminates parts of the screen that are on the top and bottom. Uh, but the advantage to shooting on film for TV is that when they used to put, uh, when they used to put film on TV, they would always have a lot of safety space around the edges. Uh, because they uh, knew that the uh, when it was shown on TV, it would be overscanned. scanned, in other words, the image would be zoomed up, yeah, to eliminate any possibility of the edges of the screen being seen. Uh, so, there's a lot of stuff along the top and bottom and sides that we never saw. That was true of Star Trek, it was true of the old uh, Avengers, you know, uh, Diana Riggs series. Uh, so it's conceivable you could take that original frame of course it varies depending on who was shooting it you know but if they if there was enough safety space you could conceivably make a decent widescreen image out of that without it looking too crappy and without cutting out too much important stuff but the simpsons because it's an animated show obviously they don't do safety stuff yeah they just draw whatever is supposed to be in the shot um but uh, so uh, have you heard any specific complaints of things that people are missing or
1: yeah there was well there's this uh, did you ever watch the show
2: oh i watched it all the time
1: okay the, the the pothole the episode about the pothole they're standing they hit jerry and george are standing there talking about the pothole and in the new netflix version you can't see the pothole it's it. cut off yeah so you're just like well what are they talking about
2: <laughs> well that that is a problem yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> well i wonder maybe they're thinking let's put it out in light about in widescreen and there'll be a great furor about it right and then, and then we'll go back you know, and fix a lot of publicity and yeah. we'll fix it <laughs> and everybody will be watching because they want to see that we straightened it out uh i'd like to think that they're that clever i'm not sure but uh, you would think that especially after the simpsons thing they wouldn't be doing to do it yeah but anyway i was saying how i shot both of my movies in standard screen on video standard mm-hmm. definition video and standard screen uh, and nowadays, as I get ready to re-release uh, my first film, uh, you hear from certain people, oh, it's gotta be in widescreen, you know, it's not gonna be any good, it's not gonna be successful if it's not widescreen. I realize that there's now a sort of prejudice against standard screen pictures. But of all people, Zack Snyder is coming to my rescue. There you go, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's got some of um, <clears throat> Justice League in these. Uh, uh, IMAX format, which apparently is roughly square. And uh, so we have that. And now uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen, actually, it's not both of them, it's just one this time that he's putting out a new version of Macbeth uh, with uh, Denzel Washington. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that.
2: That's in four by three. And it's also in black and white. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> my movie in black and white, but it's in four by three. And there's a whole bunch of other little independent films that have been released lately. I think, was it The Lighthouse? Was that another one that was in four by three? Uh,
1: I don't believe it was. If it, um, if it was, the version I watched was full screen. Or well, there's, screen. A,
2: there's a couple of other indie films that are getting fairly good notices, uh, they're fairly prestigious, and they're all in four by three. So I'm hoping that that will benefit me when the time comes to put my film out, which is just another. Uh, you can be on that series. list yeah if anybody says oh we we won't distribute this it's in four by three we say there's a whole bunch of successful movies <laughs> yeah. it's the latest thing it's it's like lps everybody's uh, going back to four by three now they're
1: going to start making four by three televisions now yeah we're we'll at the rebound of our tvs <laughs>
0: well,
2: well there's even a tv in this in the spaceship in Planet Nine from outer space that's another hoot. I, <laughs> yeah, couldn't couldn't use this, and why? I can't imagine. I mean, there's nothing on the screen. They have a close-up. Yeah, well, yeah,
1: it. like yeah. So why it's like, I'll well, put it there? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Why not just put a blank square and say, oh, you know, draw some static lines on <laughs> it or something? I also
1: the... liked how whenever the uh, we were in the office with the two military guys, and he's talking about how. <clears throat> We've known about them forever. We've been you know, watching them and they don't speak our language. But we created this computer that can yeah. trans- translate it. And it not only it not only translates the wording, it comes out in the guy's voice. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: yes, that's a good trick. Yeah, that's another example, I think, of the sloppiness rushing through. I mean, wouldn't it occur to anybody, any reasonable person that earthlings can create technology that can, without any other information figure out the meaning of a, an alien language we have no there's no no information you could draw <clears> upon to <throat> do that and in addition he makes it more ridiculous by having it with voice yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh that's that's Ed Wood for you right
1: but that was probably one of the better you know film scenes also it was kind of yeah. long-winded and the dialogue wasn't interesting but <clears throat> you know, it looked better than the rest of the film.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it, and it was not so ambitious, right? It's just two guys sitting talking. yeah so, but again, the sort of absurdities of the um uh he's talking to a guy who is in charge of the response to the UFOs to the flying saucers, and he's quizzing him about whether or not he believes in UFOs and when he says that he does, uh the, he, he's trying to trip him up and he's like, Oh, it's not official that's not <laughs> I mean what is the point of all that you know wouldn't you think that the guys in the military were actually in charge of responding to the aliens the alien invasion that they would at least in private conversation agree yes these things that we're shooting at actually exist i mean what's the point of that scene other than just to fill out the movie
1: yeah yeah i feel like uh i feel like if if he would have had if he would have had someone else do his scripts like if he would have filmed other people's scripts and had just a little bit more money i think he could have done something I think he had he had you know he had some kind of vision. He just struggled to get it out there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and the one really truly admirable thing is his diligence. He kept at it, kept trying to raise money. He did whatever he had to do to get the films made. That's admirable, I would say. And uh, if he could have put that sort of energy and that sort of cleverness to work on somebody else's script that was worth producing. And instead of bringing in this menagerie of weirdos, none of whom had any real skill as actors, bring in people that are fairly talented, you know at least competent. Uh, you might have had something presentable, you know I mean the funny thing is he did other movies that are closer to being competent, like he did one about uh, teenage girl gangs or whatever and uh, they're boring. you know the films that he did that were competent. Are dull uh, so that's another phrase that we hear repeated about Ed Wood, which really isn't true. I every mean, people that try to defend him say is is he may have made bad movies, but he never made dull movies. He did make dull movies, yeah some of them are almost unwatchable uh and he also wrote scripts for movies uh that were almost as uh, maybe even worse than the, than the films he did. He did one for uh, a script for a film called Venus Flytrap, Fly at least that may be its title. And uh, apparently the original distributor uh, clipped the original title off and released it under another name. I forget what the other name was. Uh, Mad, Doctor, uh, Mad Doctor, no, Dr. X. Dr. X was a, f- a foreign movie, a Filipino film. He just took the titles from that, including the names of the actors, and he just put it on this other film which is about an American uh, uh, rocket scientist uh, who becomes disillusioned uh, and goes to Japan to develop a, a life form made out of vegetables of plants. And it, it turns into a monster and runs around killing people. Uh, and it's unbelievably awful. But you know it's an Edward movie because you hear that sort of ridiculous illogical dialogue. And I think there's at least one reference to angora in, in in the film uh which is his his fixation on angora sweaters uh but it's uh it fought, i guess you could say he was smart enough not to try to make that script into a movie he gave that to somebody sold that to some other yeah. <laughs> Sucker, you know, that movie has some hilarious scenes in it you should seek that one out uh there's some just absolutely you know you'll, you'll split your sides laughing at some of the acting and some of the dialogue in that movie it's Yeah, just... i was
1: just looking through his credit i didn't realize he had so much in his credits here i mean just directing and
2: writing wise yeah he also he also wrote the script for uh a, a film about a, a, a female alien that comes down in the face and uh, i forget the name of it uh, it's another real hoot uh, she she something
1: uh there's there's a there's so many on here to scroll through
2: the astounding she creature
1: oh, okay <laughs> is that
2: a, uh, anyway uh, it's a, it's about an alien anybody who has access to uh, the edward filmography yeah, be able to find it it's the only one that's about a female alien who is uh, harassing gangsters in a cabin in the woods uh and it's a hoot uh it has all the edward touches it um, definitely
1: sounds interesting
2: yeah well i mean when i was a younger person and, and the pressures of life were impressing upon me quite quite <laughs> i really used to enjoy kicking back and having too many beers watching these uh, dreadful movies because there were a bunch of things going on in my mind first of all it seemed to me that this was a uh, sort of democratic filmmaking it showed that anybody could make a movie right that's reassuring to me uh, but it also showed that if a guy like him could get his films made and actually become a famous person with his films, then there was hope for us all maybe even for me. So it, it was a, a source of encouragement, uh, a little bit uh, uh, influenced by a, a sort of feeling of superiority. Oh, mm-hmm. I could do better than that. You know? Yeah. But, which I think is a kind of a pleasant feeling that we all feel when we watch these movies even somebody who's never made a film and has no aspirations to make a film looks at these films and says I could do better than this you know
1: yeah Uh, that's how I feel watching a lot of movies that are even coming out today
2: yeah I mean in a way I suppose he's a more admirable fellow than somebody like um, Michael Bay because uh, I would never think uh, with alcohol I don't drink anymore but with alcohol or not, I would never think of sitting down and watching Michael (laughs) Michael, for for entertainment purposes, at least. Uh, And he's working with hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, yeah. So there is something uh, unfair about that, right? That somebody who was an admirable person who just didn't have, wasn't very talented, uh, he crapped out completely. He didn't didn't make any money and he died in poverty and, and died a miserable alcoholic uh and uh, michael bay is probably one of the wealthiest people in show business
0: yeah the pumping
1: basically out this off. yeah the same movie every time
2: <laughs> and i i i don't i don't say uh, i don't attack him as a person he may right, be a wonderful yeah. guy right yeah and i will say anybody who can achieve that level of success obviously they have something that i don't have uh so he's superior to me in that respect but I don't like his movies, and I don't understand why anybody does. And they seem, in many ways, just as stupid as Ed Wood's movies.
1: Right. Yeah. They're
2: just not as entertaining. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> there's just yeah. b- lots of explosions and bright colors and
2: yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, we were supposed to do *Society* uh, today, the film, the nineteen, was it nineteen eighty? Eighty. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, maybe. Maybe it was eighty-nine was it 89
1: i think uh, 80. yeah so yeah, i i don't want to say it was 80 but
2: okay well uh one of the things that i found most insulting about that film and i suppose it's also true of michael bay's films is that there's an apparent assumption on the part of the person who made it that i would be entertained by this yeah I, that seems like a big leap of faith why would you think anybody would be entertained by that film and yet, apparently, some people were. Some people speak very highly of it.
1: Yeah, when I was watching it, that was the first time I'd seen it. I don't. I've heard about it before, obviously, but I'd never watched it, <laughs> and uh, I didn't enjoy it. It was. I didn't think it was a very good movie. But to me, it felt like one of those movies. Whenever you say, "Hey, I didn't like that movie," the response from somebody who likes it's going to be. Well, you're not you're missing the point <laughs> you know I, I almost almost felt like am i too dumb to get this movie or is uh, it just a dumb movie and by the way it was 89
2: it was 89 okay. yeah okay uh well i think that probably that's the dodge that the filmmakers use is that they put this veneer of it being social satire over something which is very poorly thought out and it isn't really biting in any way it's not an effective satire it's a bunch of cliches about w- wealthy, privileged people, but the problem with it is, it's when you do something like that, you also have to have a compelling, engrossing story. We're supposed you, you can't have, uh, uh, I guess it's at least at least ninety minutes. You can't have eighty of ninety minutes being stuff that is dull and and illogical and, and yeah. Annoying. Plus, I
1: felt if it if it if it was supposed to have had some kind of social commentary about uh i guess reaganomics or you know whatever it was at that time they completely i didn't get that out of it yeah well you know i'm saying like i didn't really it would have been better if it would have been like you there was no like like you you said before there was nobody to relate to in the movie oh yeah yeah i'm saying it was just i'm just sitting watching you know this kid or i guess we're supposed to relate to but he's just as idiot here just dumb as everybody yeah. else in the movie so <laughs>
2: yeah there there is nobody that you like or nobody you've, you're feeling any connection to in the film uh and uh, i have a feeling you know back at that time maybe it was sort of the tail end of this period there was a similar problem going on in movies that's going on now nowadays people make movies so they can make use of cgi mm-hmm. right and you can almost imagine that they're constructing the story with the notion in their heads, oh, here, we'll, we'll use this particular effect here. And everything is sort of, it can be taken off the shelf, whether it's a superhero movie or you know, whatever it is. And back at the time, back when society was made, uh, that was true of prosthetic uh, special effects. Uh, it was a great period of great advance in, uh, in uh, special effects, makeup special effects Uh, You know, you had 2001 with the great monkeys that the the film starts, the ape people that the film starts with. Uh, Same year you had Planet of the Apes, which had the um, uh, prosthetic effects that made people look convincingly like monkeys. Uh, And then you had years of movies where the makeup effects became more and more elaborate, mostly stuff done by people like Dick Smith, who was the great genius of that field. and rick baker and tom savini uh, tom savini yes uh freeborn Uh, all of these people doing stuff that really was very impressive you know when we saw it on the screen for the first time yeah but after a while they started to make movies that were nothing but excuses to have those type of effects
1: yeah the Uh, effects in this in society weren't all that great i don't think it looked like it looked like wet clay yeah and then whenever the i guess the i guess he was a psychiatrist but you know he was like the main villain i guess whenever he is almost back to his form you could you could tell the the yes. color the difference in the color from the gray clay they had on his face and his yeah. skin tone and i'm just like this, this this is horrible
2: well i i was surprised by that too because you would think a movie where its whole reason for existing was that they all the special effects are gonna yeah be screaming mad george's special effects are par excellence they're not really, you know. No. Uh, uh, I have a feeling this is just my guess <clears throat> that they were so excited by the idea of having a movie where somebody sticks their hand up the ass of another guy and it comes out his mouth. <laughs> they were so enchanted with that idea that they built the whole film around getting to that. And the reason and they actually end up doing it twice,
0: right? Know, yeah, there's
2: two fisting uh references in the film. Uh, The the reason I have come to this conclusion is because that is, that suggests a a sexual act that makes it seem like they're having an orgy. But that doesn't make sense. Why would they be meeting to have an orgy? Wouldn't it make more sense? And wouldn't it be more in keeping with the satirical point that they were uh, grooming these, like this young man that has been uh raised by these two people who are part of the society they weren't raising him just so that they could have sex with him in this way they were raising him because at some point he was going to be eaten presumably or absorbed you know the idea i think the little germ of an idea is that they absorb people that seems to be what they're going for yeah uh but it shouldn't be a sexual thing. It shouldn't be an orgy. It should be like a ritual or a rite that they, that they uh, you know, there's, uh, what would be a good example? I guess it's the Mayans that they used to have this thing where they would take a young man and they would, for a month or several months, they would uh, give him all the best food and he would have all the access to all the women he wanted and he would be uh, treated as well as possible to get him in perfect shape so they could sacrifice him. Yeah and that idea i think actually made it way its way into one episode of kolchak the night stalker if i'm not mistaken uh that's not a bad idea but that's not what they're doing here they sort of halfway between it they're saying that this guy was raised by these people uh so that he could participate in this sort of ritual which is supposed to be something important presumably and yet it just turns out to be a silly hysterical orgy where everybody's running around screaming laughing and uh, you know people are fisting each other
1: yeah no it didn't make sense and then of course it was we never found out exactly if they were alien or right. they didn't tell us and they just he escapes with <laughs> and it's over and i was like oh this is horrible
2: there's no clear explanation of why they're doing anything and that's true all through the movie there's no clear explanation why anybody does anything uh it's all just like it almost on the level of Edwards writers. I would
1: say worse this was worse than <laughs> plan
0: nine
2: <laughs> it, it is worse than that they had much more time and they had greater resources so to end up with something that is devoid of entertainment value really seems a, a terrible shame you know so I don't buy that idea that this is some sort of clever satire uh, This, what would be the satire what, what would be the satirical point they're making
1: all right rich, yeah.
2: rich people eat poor people
1: yeah i know they didn't and of course he, the kid well he wasn't even poor he was their son i mean it was
2: well he was he, uh, apparently not actually well no son. but he was
1: raised you know it's not right. like they are you know they're, they're not going getting bombs off the street and <laughs> you know
2: and, and if if they were if they're actually going to put the time and effort into raising this guy from childhood so that at some point he is going to either participate in this ritual or become part of the society is that possible what they were suggesting maybe i don't know but then why on the day when they're finally getting ready they they take some other guy which they supposedly had killed off earlier in the film he's the one that they end up uh, sacrificing first or shunting first as they say in the movie you know just it's like nothing that happens in the movie has any logic behind it and nothing has any consequence
1: yeah i know yeah. it's horrible
2: that take all of this is taking us far away from Ed Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to the the sanity and the, and artistic integrity of Ed Wood. but uh, anyway so society yeah that will I don't worry
1: re- yeah, I definitely don't, rec- don't recommend it at all
2: and, and I hope our description of it doesn't make it sound more interesting <laughs> yeah people may seek it out now it, is, oh, like, yeah. it <laughs> isn't it's a waste, of, waste of time
1: but you do recommend playing out from outer space right
2: when I, I, I always found it to be a very entertaining movie uh, to have on TV around Halloween, because it, it has that sort of, um, I don't know what would be a good, it's like a haunted house uh, at the at the, uh, at the at a carnival or right, know, a yeah. walk. it has that sort of feeling of you know, regular people just trying to act spooky regular people trying to act do something that would be theatrical or, uh, and they have these iconic characters that really are halloween figures uh vampire and todd johnson todd johnson's don post mask are you familiar with don post
1: uh the name sounds familiar i'm drawing a blank on
2: don post uh was uh, the biggest name in in rubber masks back in the days like the 60s and 70s here you can see an advertisement for don post mask. let me see if i can get it there Yeah, oh, yeah there we go oh, okay yeah And one of the masks that they put out was a Tor Johnson mask. And it became one of their biggest selling masks. Uh, I had one. No, did you? (laughs) Eventually fell apart, but I had one. Uh, I actually acquired mine at the, uh, one of only two famous monsters conventions back in the uh, seventies, at which uh, I was within uh, arm's length of Peter Cushing, at one point. Oh, nice. Yes he didn't acknowledge me <laughs> he did not recognize me even of all the mo- movies of his that i watched <laughs> he was sitting at it that we were in the me and my brother were in the uh cafeteria or the dining room of the hotel uh and as we were snarfing down whatever garbage we were eating i Forrester ackerman and peter cushing came and sat at a table nearby and i couldn't bring myself to turn around and say anything to him I, I, I always feel like I'm an annoyance to people. And I probably am, <laughs> even, even <laughs> without trying, even if they're not celebrities, I'm an annoyance to them. So my, the most I could say is that I I sat near Peter Cushing. There
0: Cushing. As
2: far as J Ackerman actually tried, the guy who was the editor of Famous Monsters Magazine, he actually tried to sell some of Ed Wood's scripts and, and writings because he was also a, a, a literary agent uh of a kind right and uh and forrest Jacobin also appeared in another uh, one of my favorite bad movies which is dracula versus frankenstein the 1971 al adamson uh, masterpiece which hopefully we'll be talking about some some future time. i'm sure we will another movie that's very entertaining for halloween because it has that same sort of vibe of you know people just trying to do a sort of spook show and of course, they had Lon Chaney and J. Carol Nash in it. And uh, and uh, so, it's, and, and Forest Jackman. He appears briefly in that movie. So, I know you're thrilled. <laughs> I am.
1: Now, yeah, I definitely. I mean, like I said, Plan 9, it's it it, it is what it is. <laughs> it's an enter- entertaining movie that, you know, you, you don't get mad at. Uh, of course, it's, you know, you obviously can get it for free, so there's no mm-hmm. point in nobody not watching it if you've got the you know free yeah. time to do it
2: and it has a sort of na- naive innocent quality which was lacking in some of edward's later movies when he got into porn and you know
1: but would you because I, mean, I, I like i said i haven't seen all of his have you seen it like would you say this was his best picture
2: well i think uh, it, it's probably the the uh the best example of an edward film I mean, right. it would be between this and bride of the monster I don't think Leonard Glender really, uh, even though it's his, obviously his most personal film, it's the film that he would care, would, would express the greatest uh, passion for. Uh, I think he said himself that that was his personal film, that's him, as he put it, but Plan 9 was the movie he wanted to be remembered for, or thought he would be remembered for. Uh, and I think that's probably true, it's the concoction uh, of all these elements uh, that sort of say this is the edward uh method it's not of like an Ed Wood thesis film right yeah he, he did other movies that had elements or aspects of the Ed Wood magic in them but this is the one where it's all together in, in one you know in one exciting <laughs> package uh, so yeah i guess this this would this would be the one to point people to or point them to the tim burton movie if that's not yeah
1: that would be yeah that'd probably be smart
2: so they can get a taste of what he's about before sampling the movie yeah, yeah
1: i definitely uh i definitely enjoyed the uh the tim Burton. that's probably because i'm not a big tim burton fan but i thought no, that I'm was not. a very yeah i was a <laughs> that was a decent movie i liked it
2: that was when tim burton was still doing good movies yeah yeah <laughs> and i'm, I'm that was his
1: it. and then that was his first uh film with johnny Depp, right and of course after that they done yes. everything else together
2: or did he do, Edward Scissorhands? Before that?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, I forgot. I keep forgetting about that one, uh,
2: yeah,
1: which that, I've never seen. I've never seen Edward Scissorhands. So. Well, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good film. That's an enjoyable
2: film. And uh, what would be another film by Ed, uh, by Tim Burton that we can praise?
1: Uh, uh, Batman. I guess Batman. Like Batman? Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, that's probably my favorite uh, well, Tim Burton film to be the eighty nine Batman.
2: Yeah, I always forget that he did that. I, I'm I'm not a tremendous fan of that i found it rather disappointing when i first saw it because all the hoopla about it uh but i can see where you know it's certainly better than planet of the apes
1: oh yeah that was like i think that's when i started to despise (laughs) when i seen that i was like "Ah, what are you doing if
2: you you didn't despise them from watching planet of the apes you would certainly if i could ever convince you to watch dark shadows which i'm going to do i'm going to do i I don't even know if i should try to force you to do that (laughs) Well, that seems a terribly cruel fate, to, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that Dark Shadows was about it. Uh, that was the end of the line, as far as I'm concerned, as far as, uh, regarding you know Tim Burton and Johnny Depp movies. Uh, I don't think that it it's fair for him to do movies about things that he clearly doesn't care about. Right. Yeah. You know, especially if you're going to spend three hundred million dollars or whatever ridiculous I don't know if it was three hundred million, but it was at least hundred million and probably another hundred million or so for prints and advertising. So if you're going to spend that much money on a movie, you just don't give a shit about, and it's obvious in the movie itself that you don't give a shit about it, you know, and it's impossible to imagine that that script went more than a a draft or two, you know, and and it's kind of hard to imagine that uh, Tim Burton had any familiarity with the original material, or or that he had anything other than a complete uh, disdain for it which is weird because Sleep, sleepy hollow is actually a pretty good Tim Burton.
1: oh yeah yeah i like that was i like that one too uh
2: so uh yeah i don't know that that's an it may just be somebody who's you know he's gone on too long now he's run out of ideas yeah
1: well, i to me it felt like maybe the studio was like hey let's remake something we can get this yeah. property and this guy would be good for it and I guess well, it was johnny, an easy paycheck for
2: john <laughs> johnny depp apparently was a dark shadows fan uh, right which makes it even more mysterious because he why would you if you were a dark shadows fan why would you then want to make a movie which doesn't really resemble in style uh or or, or the mood of it uh, the original show yeah you know it's it's uh amazingly they managed to spend at least 100 million dollars making the worst version of dark shadows even though <laughs> the original version was a fucking soap opera yeah
1: yeah
2: uh, so that's inexplicable you know
1: yeah we'll, we'll never have to cover it there
2: yeah one of these days might be nice to cover those uh the three dark shadows movies uh the two feature films that were made around the time of the soap opera was on and the tim burton movie
1: yeah we can do that
2: just to compare them
1: all right so it's uh october is your movie coming out this month
2: Well, um, i hope to have it finished by the end of the month
1: okay end of the month even better right just perfect right time for halloween right
2: yes well uh uh obviously once uh, i have a finished print of it so to speak i'll send screeners around to people whose opinion i value like yourself and aaron uh, and uh that after it's done, then it goes to the distributor, it hopefully will be shopped around to distributors by the producer. And so it maybe it'll end up on some streaming platforms or maybe get a DVD release or something like that. So that's sleepless nights that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, sleepless nights, the vampire movie,
2: my vampire movie from 1999, which was originally released in 2002. Uh, and uh, my other film demon resurrection is currently available on Amazon Prime and on Tubi TV. And then Zumo TV, if you've ever heard of that, and it's on Vimeo on demand, and uh, I understand that it's on some channels on uh, what's that uh, set box thing that? Uh, oh, the Roku. On? Roku, yes. It's not yep. on Roku's official channels, but on some of the other independent channels on Roku. Apparently, it's being yeah. apparent, so. so people can watch my movies and then say, "What the hell was that guy knocking at?" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> his movies are even worse
1: (laughs) no i wouldn't say that
2: well hopefully people will be generous kind yeah i'm sure they would be and if they aren't i'll just block them on twitter yeah there
1: you go (laughs) all right well this was a fun episode and uh till next week we will continue to watch the good the bad and the cheaply made